0: Well, Richard Pratt, who is a professor of Old Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary, wrote a book called, He Gave Us Stories. On the back of the book, he says this about Old Testament narrative, which is exactly what we are studying in the book of Exodus. He says, stories are among the primary means God uses to reveal his truth to us in Scripture. The Old Testament is filled with stories. Noah and the ark, Daniel in the lion's den, Ruth and Boaz, stories of great men and women of God. What does God want us to learn from these stories? Is there more to them than meets the eye? And as we study the book of Exodus, I think we will discover that there is much that we can learn, and there is more to them Then meets the eye. This morning we are continuing our series in Exodus chapter 3. So if you would turn there. And before we dive into the passage. Please let me pray. Father thank you for giving us stories. Stories of who you are who we are, and all that you have done for us. Lord, as we read this story in the book of Exodus, we ask that you would help us to see beyond just the exciting parts of the story, but to see your hand, to see your working, to see your glory manifested in the lives of these individuals. And the Lord, we ask that you would, in the same way, manifest yourself in our lives. That we might learn from you. That we might grow. That we might glorify your name. Lord, use this time, this morning, to speak to us, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen. Now but- Closing verses of Exodus 2, which we studied last week, provide us with a storyline of the book. During those many days, verse 23 in chapter 2, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Israel has suffered horribly under Pharaoh's reign. They are enslaved. They are an oppressed people. They have lost sight of God. They've lost sight of the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it is no surprise that God is rarely mentioned in chapters 1 and 2. Exodus 2 dramatically helps us to to enter into a stage of Israel's life where we realize they are, they are far from the Lord. They, they feel abandoned by God. They've been enslaved for more than 400 years, and they feel like God has forgotten them, that God has left them hanging, and that there is not much hope left for him. But now in Exodus 3, the, the story of God's deliverance dramatically unfolds in the life of one individual in particular, a man named Moses. Because God cares about the needs of his people and the time of their deliverance has finally come. And it's this great salvation that we're going to read about in just a moment in this third chapter and part of the fourth chapter in the book of Exodus. The first two chapters cover about 400 years of tribulation. And now, starting in verse 3 and beyond to the end of Exodus, it's one year. So it moves along fast. And God's answer to Israel's cry is that he hears them, he remembers them, he sees them, and he draws them to himself that they might know him. So let us read in chapter 3, read along with me. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. And The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the mist of a bush. He looked. Behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. A land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do. In it after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But The Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do signs. Wow. (laughs) Quite a story. Now On the surface, this is a dramatic and, in many ways, a surreal story about Moses and God and Israel. Um, But it doesn't take much of a closer look to see what the the true focus of this story is. And it's the, the story of God's deliverance and God's intervention in the nation of Israel and the people he loves to free them from slavery and oppression. It's the story of how God begins to work in and through Moses on behalf of Israel. And it, it's a story that, that comes in three stages from Moses' life. Uh, the, state, it, it's, the first one is the, the calling versus the, the first verses. Moses has been in Midian for 40 years. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And so he's been in Midian for 40 years. We learn that later later on in, in Exodus 7 that Moses is 80 years old when he heads off to, back to Egypt. He's 40 years old when he arrives in Midian. So there's this 40-year period where Moses is just serving as a, a shepherd, a, a preparatory time, because eventually he is going to be the shepherd of God's people. And so God is using this time to, to prepare Moses. And in three two, obviously, Moses is walking by. He's just leading his sheep. He's caring for them out in the wilderness and in verse 2 and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of fire out of the midst of a bush and he looked and behold the bush was burning yet it was not consumed. Obviously Moses turns aside to see this strange sight and it only gets more bizarre because as he nears the bush the bush talks. That not seem strange to you? The bush talks. What's even stranger is Moses talks back to the bush. <laughs> he's, he's there and, and, and he's just, I, I mean, I, I read this and I just go, seriously? A talking bush and a man talking back to a bush? Quite a strange moment. And this am- amazing moment is when God reveals himself to Moses. Many commentators believe this is where Moses is converted. Moses is introduced to God and he's introduced to the God who is the God of his father. Amram, as we learn later on, who his father is not only the God of his father, but the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who has been with Israel from the beginning, the God who he has heard about in his youth when he was being early on weaned and raised by his mom before he went into Pharaoh's household. This is the God that Moses is encountering. And he's encountering God in this supernatural way in a bush that is burning, that is filled with fire, and yet is not consumed. And I. I Moses is obviously, he has written this, and Moses is is talking about himself, and and just he just it's this I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. It's it's like really that's 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 how you that's how you respond to a burning bush, but yet Moses Moses is right there and he sees this bush and he draws, he begins to draw near to it, and suddenly God speaks and God says, Moses Moses, stop. Take off your sandals. For you are on holy ground. Because the mountain of Orab, where he is at, is also known as Mount Sinai. The mountain of God. The place where God dwells. And Moses is confronted by the creator. He's confronted by the self existent, the self sustaining God. He's confronted by the holiness of God because he is standing on holy ground. And this is this is a holy moment. And this is an unusual moment. Moses hides his face as we see. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Moses is aware of being an unholy man. Moses is aware. Moses is aware in the presence of God of who he is. Just as we are. All of humanity, all of humanity stands in a sense in Moses' bare feet. All of humanity stand like Moses, separated from God by our unholiness. And the only way to come into the presence of God and become holy ourselves for us is through Christ. And that's why God sent us a Savior. He became our holiness so that we might be able to Stand in God's presence. And as Moses meets God in this burning bush encounter. He he meets the glorious God who who blazes in splendor. He meets the eternal God. This is the experience that Moses is having. And God is doing this because God is beginning his deliverance of Israel. This is the beginning of the exodus for the nation of Israel. This is where the deliverance is beginning. And he meets God who has come down from heaven. Oh, isn't that God who comes down from heaven? He comes down here in a bush as an angel of the Lord, it says. And it's not an angel, it's actually God Himself who has come down to meet with Moses to Set Moses on his calling, and that's what is happening here. Moses is being called by God. He meets with the God of heaven, he meets with this God who is faithful to fulfill the promises that he has made generations past. The promises made to be the God of Israel, to be the God of the people he loves, to be the God who we see is the God of history. And again and again, as you see in this passage, Moses writes that God is reminding him, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Again and again, we see that God has been with us from the beginning, with these people and with us, because he is also. I mean, this is this is us. This is, we. This is the God of our fathers, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God here w- wonderfully reveals how faithful and loving and caring he is. In verse seven, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Moses is standing there. He's he's talking to a bush. He's, and he knows that. It's more than a bush. It's God. And God is telling him things about his past. God is telling him things about his present. God is telling him things about his future. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry. Isn't that reminiscent of of 2.23 that we just read? That the Lord heard and here he's saying, I have come down to deliver them. What a shadow of what's to happen in the future. Of another moment when God comes down to deliver. The incarnate Christ who has come down from heaven to deliver us from the Egypt of our sin. Moses meets God in the burning bush He encounters this glorious God. He meets this holy God. And he hears from this holy God. And he hears what this holy God wants to do, will do, on his behalf and on behalf of the nation of Israel. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have seen their oppression, which the Egyptians oppressed them with. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. What? A moment. Imagine standing there. You're talking to a burning bush. You're hearing the voice of God who's identified himself as the God of your forefathers, of your dad, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says to you, he says to you, a man who has been exiled to the wilderness, a man who is known as a murderer in Egypt, a man who has failed his people as a deliverer. And he says to you, come, I will send you to Pharaoh. Guarantee you, that was a moment where Moses thought, I'm in trouble. I am in trouble right now. Philip Ryken said this, God's relationship with his people, the loving covenant he established with Abraham, is a personal relationship. And it's also a saving relationship. And this is why God reveals himself to Moses. The God who hears and remembers and sees and knows his people is also the God who saves, the God who comes down to us. So then in verse 10, God has revealed his plan to Moses. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Oh, the story gets better. All standing around this bush on holy ground in bare feet Trembling, afraid to look at God, and God speaks to him. And I I don't know, I mean, movies don't capture this. (laughs) Cecil B. DeMille does not capture this. Was it Charlton Heston that played that? Yeah, I mean, great guy, Charlton Heston, but he doesn't capture this. Moses is looking at a burning bush and God is speaking to him. And God is saying, Moses, I have called you. I have called you to go to the very place where just years earlier, death awaits you. I've called you to stand for me. Again, Philip Ryken said this, The story of Exodus is the history of how God, through Moses, rescued his people, working out their whole salvation from beginning to end. The way God rescued Israel from Egypt is the way God always rescues his people. The Exodus is not simply past history, but present reality. The God who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush is the same God we serve today. Whenever and wherever we worship him, we are standing on holy ground, praising the God of Abraham and crying out to him for salvation. Israel's bondage is a picture of our slavery to sin. Until we come to God in faith, we are living in the Egypt of our sin, enslaved by its passions and desires. And just as the children of Israel were under Pharaoh's whip, we are under the devil's spell. Therefore, we are as great a need of salvation as were the children of Israel. If we are to be rescued, God will have to stoop down to save us. And in, right here, God comes down. I have come down. And as we so wonderfully see in this story, God stoops down to save Israel as he stooped down to save us in Christ Jesus. That is Moses' calling. But Moses doesn't look at this calling as, wow, oh, I... Thank you, Lord. Thank you for calling me. I've just I've just had this noble desire in my heart all my life to be a savior of the people. I, I just can't wait. No, Moses Moses has a different approach. He's not too interested in being the man who represents God. Verse eleven But Moses said to God, Who am I? That I should go to <clears throat> excuse me, Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. That's a great question. I mean, verse ten were chilling words to Moses. Come, I'm sending you. Moses says, "No, you're not. I am not. I'm not going. Seriously, you want me to do what? You want me to go where? You want me to talk to who? In view of Moses, listen, Moses. I, I, this was probably Moses' very humble response. Who am I? I am. I, I'm an exile. I, I'm really no longer a Hebrew. I'm definitely not an Egyptian. I'm just a shepherd in the wilderness. I'm 80 years old. <clears throat> I don't have much to offer. Who, who am I? That I, I, don't, I, I just don't know how I'm going to do this. And God wisely and lovingly meets this question head on with a statement. Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am. That's what God tells Moses. Listen, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Israel and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God speaks to him and says, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people of Egypt out of, out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God tells Moses that his plan isn't just to rescue Israel from slavery and oppression. It's more than that. When God saves us, he doesn't just save us out of something. He saves us to something. And Moses is standing on Mount Sinai. He's standing on the mountain of God, the holy place. And God tells Moses, look, I am, I am saving Israel. I'm using you to be the deliverer. But I am saving Israel, not just out of slavery and oppression, but as he says here in verse 12, that you will bring them to this mountain where they will serve me. And that's what God does for us. God just doesn't save us out of our sin. He saves us to something. And that's what God is telling Moses here. Moses, listen, you're going to know... When you see the nation of Israel once again worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, once again serving me, once again living their lives for my glory, that's what you're going to see, Moses. That's the sign to you. That's when you know salvation has come to the people of God. And we demonstrate that here every Sunday. We weren't just saved out of the world. We were saved into the church. We were saved into community where we can stand together and serve together and worship God together. That's what Moses is talking about here. And that's what it means for us. But Moses doesn't quite get it. He comes up with another question. Kind of another excuse. Then Moses said to God in verse 13, he goes, If I come to the people of Israel. Now, get that. If. He didn't say to God, when I go to the people of Israel. He said, if I come to the people of Israel. In other words, Lord, I haven't said yes yet. (laughs) Oh, Moses. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? what shall i say to them now understand israel at this point I mean, they they know the history abraham isaac and jacob and it, they, they would have known, as, as you read in Genesis, that God was known by different names in Genesis. So you, you would have uh, El Roya, the God who sees me, El Elyon, the God most high, El Shaddai, God almighty, and El Bethel, the God of Bethel. And so Moses might be wondering, well, what name do I tell them? Which God do they know? And God says, well, let's make it really simple. Now, this isn't a, he says, I am who I am. That's that's not a name. He hasn't given the name. He's just telling, he's just revealing to Moses who he is. I am. I am the eternal one. I am the self-existent one. I am the self-sustaining one. I am the omniscient one. I am the omnipresent one. I am the omnipotent one. I am the God who has been from eternity past and all into the eternity future. I am who I am That is who I am. Moses, let me tell you who I am before I tell you my name. And then in verse 14, he says this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of God. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord. Now, as you see all caps here, that is the sacred name of God, Yahweh. And that's when Moses hears, Yahweh has sent me. That's the name I have to tell the people of Israel. The Lord, Yahweh. It clears the matter up. That is the sacred name they will know. That is the name of and Moses is once again told, Remind them of their history. I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. That's who appeared to me. Yahweh, the God of your fathers. The God of your forefathers. The God of your history. The God who you have talked about and prayed to and hoped would come. That is the God who has sent me. That is the one who is faithful. And, and he, he goes on, look at verse 16. I have observed you. Now in what that actually, that phrase literally means carefully watched over. Here is the kind and gracious and loving God saying, Moses, tell them I have carefully watched over you. I have observed you. I have carefully watched over you. And then he goes on and says, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. I promise you. (laughs) He says, listen, no matter what happens, I will prove myself. They will listen to your voice. Verse 18. And, and the elders will go with you. And the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, you have told him, has met us. And you will go to Pharaoh. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. In verse 20, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with wonders that I will do. And he goes on to say, listen, and you'll plunder them. You'll send your wives and your daughters to all the women in, in Egypt, and they're going to give you gold and silver and clothing. You will be provided for. You will not go empty-handed. And obviously in God's providence, all that gold and silver and jewelry is for the tabernacle. And God says, look, look at all I'm going to do for you. Look at everything under my promise. This is, Moses, this is who I am. This is what I will do. This is what you tell them, and they will listen to you. Now, now Pharaoh won't, but listen, here's what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. He says, I will stretch out my hand. Now, when in verse 19, I know the king will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. That, that mighty hand is talking about a human hand here in verse 20 i will stretch out my hand and will strike egypt with wonders that i will do that's a promise to moses moses look go this is god now if if at this point you've spent probably a good hour talking to a bush and that bush is 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 telling you hey here's the wonders that i can do and you don't believe that you're already missing it. Well, Moses is because we get to chapter four and Moses said, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. So God says, Okay, look, Moses, what's in your hand? It's a staff. So Moses th- is told to throw down the staff and it becomes a snake. And what does Moses do? He runs. God says, no, 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 Moses, stop. Come back and pick up the snake by the tail. Which would be the most dangerous thing to do because if you grab it by the tail, the head's going to bite you. And here is the snake. It, the snake is one of the most powerful symbols in all of Egypt. It's also a symbol of the evil one. It is one of the most powerful symbols. And God says, look, Look what I've got power over. This is who I am. And then he tells Moses, look, put your, put your hand in your cloak. Lepory, leprosy was huge in Egypt. Again, God performs a wonder. The river of blood, which was the symbol of life in Egypt. And God is just telling, he's just telling Moses, look, here, here's your credentials. You serve a God that is Greater than man and nature and creation and all the gods of Egypt. That's the God you serve. And I'm giving you signs and wonders to do so that they will see who I am. I will make myself known. Moses, I've made myself known to you. And I'm going to now make myself known to the people of Israel. And I'm going to make myself known to the nation of Egypt. They will know I am the sovereign one. I am the Lord over all creation. I am the Lord over man. I am the Lord over nations. And Moses responds in verse 10 of chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I got another excuse. I don't speak very well. I'm not eloquent. I haven't got the gift of gab. And I love God's response. Who made your mouth? Who gave you that mouth? Now that's something I heard my dad say to me all the time. Who gave you that mouth? But he meant it in a different way. Here, here, God is telling Moses, Moses... I'm the creator. I will put words in your mouth. Who who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? And here God is just displaying his sovereignty over everything. He's just shown it in a snake and a hand and the the promise of the river turning to blood and now he tells Moses, "Look, I am the Lord over all creation." Do you get it? And it, and then I mean, verse 12 of chapter 4, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and will teach you what to speak. What greater promise does Moses need? Well, (laughs) that is the conflict here, isn't it? Moses has been called, and the conflict is, but God, but God, but God, but God. Oh, can't we do the same at times? I'm calling you to go here. But God, I. And that's what Moses does. And here we have this this another excuse. All of Moses' excuses have been smacked down by God. God has answered everyone. And so Moses only has one thing left to say Oh, my Lord, just send somebody else. I'm done with excuses. I'm done with arguing with you. I'm done having this conflict. I ain't going. Send someone else. I'm not your man. And in verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Oh my. But this is where we see Moses In stage one, his calling, stage two, his conflict with God. But stage three, his compliance. Moses comes to compliance. It is true that God is slow to anger, but there is a time when he is righteously indignant at our refusal to obey. He he does not lose his temper because he does not sin. He cannot sin. He but he does get righteously angry. But what we see here is something even greater than God's anger. And that is God's grace. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I mean, at that moment, this burning bush, this the God of the burning bush, God Almighty, God the Holy One, God, the angry one, could have just sent a flame out of the bush and just charred Moses at that moment and said, there are other people I can use. But he doesn't. Here is one of the greatest displays of God's grace. I I will send your brother with you. In fact... I know that he can speak well and he's already coming out to you because I am the omniscient one. I already know. I already knew how you were going to respond. And I have sent Aaron to be with you. Now, this, listen, even greater than God's righteous anger is his mercy towards a weak and sinful man. And isn't that God toward us? His mercy. Gracious, grace-filled forgiveness towards us who are weak and sinful. He doesn't cast aside Moses, but he makes provision for Moses so that Moses can fulfill God's gracious promise to rescue the slaves of Egypt. Many details of this story are a, a shadow of what is to come in Christ. Sinful enslaved creatures in desperate need of rescue. What's more glorious than this story of Moses' call to serve God as a deliverer, to serve God in his sinfulness and his weakness? And what greater story is when God sends the ultimate deliverer in Christ, who, unlike Moses, does not argue with God, Who, unlike Moses, is perfectly obedient to God's plan. Who, unlike Moses, speaks what God has told him to speak. What a wonderful shadow of Christ we see in this story. And because of that, because of Jesus' perfect obedience, he brings ultimate deliverance to those who trust in Him. If you have not trusted in Christ, let me appeal to you to see Christ in this story who is the perfect deliverer, who is the perfect Son of God, who stooped down, who came down to and enslaved and oppressed people, all of us, all of humanity, and rescued us by his death on the cross and proved by his resurrection from the dead. If you've not trusted in Christ, let me plead with you to do so. Now it's obvious in this passage that Israel and Moses have surely forgotten much of God's promise and we're not much different. There are times we forget all that Christ has done for us when we are struggling in our circumstances, Uh, the weariness of raising the children that we love, the daily battle against sinful temptations, the struggles of pain that our bodies face because of the curse of sin, the breakdown of relationships, discouragement, from the oppression of the world that around us would rather eradicate Christ than bow down to him and in those those troubling times and circumstances we can be like Moses and Israel and we can forget our identity in Christ Now, these are hard and real-life situations that do. They sap our energy. They steal our attention away. They they steal our our memory of all that God has done for us and has promised us. And and this, this season, like I said last week, this time that we are living, this is our exodus. This is our exodus until we reach the promised land. But we have a perfect deliverer. We have a perfect deliverer. We must remember that on that final day, until that final day, God is watching carefully over us. He is with us. He has saved us. And He has promised. He has promised to bring us to the promised land, to heaven, to that eternity. The God of the burning bush is the same God who is present with us today. He is the God of, our God who wants again and again to make himself known to us. What a wonderful story that Moses has written about himself so that we could learn and we could project forward and see the glory of Christ, our deliverer. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us stories. Stories that remind us of who you are and all that you have done. Lord, may we take this story today and be freshly reminded of your promises, freshly reminded of your love for us, freshly reminded of your grace toward us as weak and sinful creatures, freshly reminded that we have been called to worship you for all eternity, because you have made yourself known to us. Now may we do that. May we go today with that in our hearts for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.